0: Well, praise the Lord. Keep on the firing line. Amen. Turn, if you would, to Haggai again. Haggai chapter 1. We're going to continue. Uh, We're dealing still with our theme, uh, the Lord's Day. And um, we're in the book of Haggai. Last week we kind of took our passage from there and we worked on that a little bit. Today I just want to continue that. We're going to start by reading Haggai chapter 1 and we're going to read through verse 11 and then we'll kind of um, do a summary of what's transpired there in that passage and then kind of touch on a couple of thoughts today. Things that I think are very important as we consider the Lord's day and the need for the house of God in our lives even in the 20, what is it, 21st century. There you go. You always get that mixed up, you know. It's 2023, but it's the 21st century, right? Because you started the 21st when you hit 2000. 2000 to 3,000. Wait, 2000 to 2100 is the first (laughs) 21st century, right? I'm trying to help you now. (laughs) Listen to me closely. (laughs) I'll confuse you for sure. But anyway, so let's do a little test here, okay? 1765 is the what century? 18th century, that's right. See how crazy that is? I don't know about you, that confused me to death. I just learned that about a year ago. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, you you laugh, but I struggle with that for years. I finally figured it out, but I still got to think about it. Haggai chapter 1. Notice what it says in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil... Governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josadak, the high priest, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. If sown much and bring in little, ye eat, but ye have not enough. You drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. When ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, say the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. Father, we ask that you would bless our time together in your word today. Lord, it's, it's nothing really that awfully profound that will be shared, but it is something that needs reminded. We pray, dear God, that our hearts would be in tune with you and your word. May you, Father, protect each and every person here from the adversary who will try to snatch up the word of God as it is sown in their hearts. We pray you'd put a hedge of protection about us and keep the devil out. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Ghost. Lord, I truly have nothing except you give it me. I pray that I would be a mouthpiece for you, that every listening ear would hear your word, not mine that every year would hear with spiritual ears that they may receive exactly what you'd have for them today. Bless us now, we pray. We'll give to you the glory and the honor. You're so worthy of our praise. In Christ's name, amen. Those being addressed in the passage had, of course, returned to the land of, of Judah. They'd been in Babylonian captivity. Following the decree of Cyrus, they made their way back to Jerusalem. For Cyrus was a Persian king. He was one of those enlightened rulers of the ancient world. And almost 200 years before he was ever even born, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that Cyrus would make this particular decree. Cyrus allowed God's people to return to their homes in Jerusalem. And the fact is there was no real homes at all. It was just a place because it had been so destroyed and uprooted by the Babylonians prior to the exile of God's people 70 years earlier. But after 70 years, according to Jeremiah's prophecy, in tune with those prophecies, here they find themselves back in their land again, returning to Jerusalem. They started off on fire. These people had come from a distant land, and they were convinced that they were going to carry out a divine call A call to rebuild the temple, to rebuild their city ultimately. Theirs was a heart of determination, a heart of devotion. They had a godly desire to see the temple rebuilt, the worship restored, the city resurrected all over again. They longed for Israel to rise up from the ashes and to stand once again as a royal diadem of God's presence, protection, and provision among the nations. Their hearts were knit together. Their desires were the same. And together they believed that they could get the job done. No matter how large the task may appear or seem, they were convinced that with God on their side, nothing was impossible. But they found themselves in an unfamiliar, hostile, and very scary environment. The foundation of the temple had been laid. They had done well early on. As we said, they were on fire. They got motivated. They got moving. But the political climate had changed, and they were forbidden to continue. Well, I suppose that's it, many said. We can't continue while opposition abounds. What are we supposed to do? So they left rebuilding the temple, and they turned their attention to their own homes, their own livelihoods. I mean, they were desperately trying to find a sense of normalcy, a, a sense of familiarity again. They were bombarded with all of these difficulties, surrounded by dangers and overwhelmed by disappointment. And so the devil easily distracted them from the real purpose for which they left their present life to go back to Jerusalem. Like all of us. They found ways to justify their lack of commitment and dedication and devotion to the house of God. They had responsibilities to both self and family, right? I mean, it makes sense. We've got to provide for them. They deserve more than just a little uh, boxed house over here. They deserve a place to really rest, a nice soft bed to lay their head at night. Uh, There's things that they need, and there's things that as a father and as a mother we ought to provide for our families. There are necessities, and this has become the priority in our lives now. I mean, let's be clear, these weren't bad people. But they did have some bad thinking. They weren't any more wicked than anyone else, but they were wrong concerning their priorities. So for 16 years, the work of rebuilding had stood still. Nothing had happened. To this, God responds by saying in verse 4, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? It seems as if God was saying to those people, I hear what you're saying, but really? Seriously? The house of God is to be neglected? You have plenty of time to work on your homes. You have plenty of time to invest in your lives and your livelihood and your homes, but not the house of God? Really? Verse 5 and 6, there's a specific phrase that pops up. It's consider your ways. It only shows up here in Haggai in chapter 1 in verses 5 and 7. Throughout the entire Bible, that phrase, consider your ways, is found only in Haggai chapter 1 and only twice. It seems as if God is challenging the people to not only consider their choice, but the consequences of their choice. They neglected the building of the house of God, that they might have more time and money for worldly affairs. What they did not, what what they received in return was much different, though. You know, the poverty that they sought to prevent by not building the temple, according to the scriptures, God brought it upon them for not building it. We don't like to read that portion of the Bible much. We don't want to talk much about the consequences of disobedience and rebellion to God. I mean, these people made a huge sacrifice to leave Babylon, where they had comfortable housing, where they had established a life and livelihood, and they made their way to a new land. Could God expect much more? Well, they left with a purpose. They left with a call. They left to rebuild the temple, and the temple's what they neglected. But there was tough times. There were difficult times. They didn't have the government on their side at that point. At one point, Cyrus had given them the authority to go and build it, but then it was rescinded. And as a result of that, what were they supposed to do, preacher? They have families to think about, their own lives to consider. Well, according to the Bible, the Lord responds by saying, Consider your ways. Think it through, because everything you have sought to provide for you and yours is something that has been removed as a result of you being disobedient to your original calling. He goes on to tell them, consider how hard you've worked and how little you have now. You eat, but... You're always hungry. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You care for your needs, but still you're out in the cold. The money you make at the job doesn't go that far. It's like you're putting money in a bag that has holes in it. And in verses 7 and 8, God admonishes them once again, consider your ways. And get to work, he's saying build my house, and that will please me and bring me glory, and when I am pleased, you will prosper. Haggai's task was to awaken a people who were drowning in spiritual apathy and to remind them of the true spiritual values that were instilled in them early on and that drove them to this new land. These saints had allowed their present distress to distract them from both their God and the purpose that they had left Babylon to begin with. Again, they'd been on fire and they had invested their lives to rebuilding the house of God, but let's face it, time and trouble can promote a spirit of apathy. Let me say that again. But time and trouble can promote a spirit of apathy. By the way, this apathy is nothing new, right? I mean, it was spiritual apathy that had bred apostasy in the days of the kings. Remember, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was apathy that promoted such indifference among the people that when they were given a chance to return to their homeland, to Jerusalem again, only 50,000 of the millions in captivity were willing to return. Even those who should have been Especially excited and dedicated to the Lord and interested in going back. Of the 24 orders of the priesthood, only four returned. Of the thousands of Levites, God's people, God's men, only 74 responded to the call. That's apathy, big time. They'd gotten comfortable. These servants of God had lost their passion for the work now. Where once they couldn't wait to wake up and get started on rebuilding the temple and ultimately rebuilding their city. Now, well, we have other interests. They'd been distracted, disenchanted with the building. They'd preoccupied themselves with their own needs, their own lives. Well, their homes were well cared for. Unfortunately, the house of God was neglected. Now, here's where we get into basically the message, because I don't have a three-, four-point message today. I just want to share some thoughts with you. You and I today, we may not be coming out of Babylonian captivity today, but we have been delivered from this present evil world. I mean, I got to believe that although you, it's not called, uh, you know, the world, I got to believe Babylon somewhat represents the world, right? Here are God's people in Babylon. Here are God's people where they really shouldn't be. They're there because of rebellion and disobedience. And God gives them an opportunity to be taken out, to find their way from that place to a new land, a new reality, to deliver them from Babylon to Jerusalem where they belong and you and I have been delivered from this present evil world into the family of God to the body of Christ. Take your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Notice verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> In Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we read, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present, this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. It is God's will that mankind is delivered out of this present evil world. And the Bible, uh, the, the apostle is speaking to the church at Galatia and he's saying that, uh, you know, that he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. We're not to live in this present evil world any longer. We're not to assimilate to it any longer. We're not to be conformed to it any longer. We've been brought out of. We should be uniquely different from the world in which we once dwelt and lived. There ought to be a noticeable difference in our life our attitude, and our actions. We've been delivered. Well, I didn't get called out of Babylon. You got called out of this sinful, wicked world, though. And we have been delivered and have received a new calling. Even as they received the calling to leave Babylon and go to this new place called Jerusalem. Many of them had never, ever, ever been there. They'd been in captivity for 70 years. It was all new to them. They'd been called, though. They'd received the call. They had a godly passion to see the temple resurrected again, rebuilt. Again, we may not be called to rebuild a temple but we are called to build the kingdom of God. And that task is to be carried out through the local church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. There is no substitute, there's no organization, no institution, no parachurch group or organization even that can take the place of the local church. Doesn't happen. It just can't work. You you may find some kind of sense of belonging. You may find a sense of duty. You can even find a sense of pleasure and satisfaction in it to some degree. But friend, it can never replace the house of God and the work of God. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long, the Apostle Paul speaking to his protege, if you will, his son in the faith, Timothy, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What's he saying? He's saying, and and, and if we could just make this point, here he is. He's saying the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. If you're seeking truth today, you're going to find it basically in the house of God. The Word of God, the house of God. You say, I don't need the house of God, I only need the Word of God. Friend, you don't understand the price that Jesus Christ paid for this body. You missed it. Jesus thought it was big enough to die for. And yet here we are today arguing as to whether or not organized religion should be a part of my life. All the hypocrisy, all the problems, all the issues that abound in the church, all the negativity. Ha, oh, ha, oh. What about all the blood that was shed for it by our Savior that saved us out of this sinful, wicked world? If you seek the truth, it'll be found in the Word of God and in the house of God. If you seek the presence, protection, and peace of God in your life and in your family, you will find it within the walls of a local church where biblical doctrine encourages, equips, and enables the saints to thrive in a sin-sick world. You know what, this idea that you don't need anybody else is not true. That is fake news, friend. We all need one another. We live in a world that will drag us down to the pits of hell. We have got to find each other to help pull us up. Because every one of us can get discouraged. Every one of us can even get depressed. Every one of us can lose sight of the real goal, Jesus Christ. My friend, we need each other. These Jewish men and women and their families were courageous enough to leave the comforts of a ready-made life in Babylon and step by faith into an adventure unknown. They didn't know what they would find when they arrived. They had no idea. But by faith, they stepped out. And we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been delivered from this sin-sick world. And now we must be courageous enough to walk by faith and not by sight. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, the Bible says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The apostle Paul again writing to the church of Corinth and he states that we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. You could close my eyes right now, friend, but as long as I'm walking by faith, God's going to guide me and direct me. I don't have to see what I'm coming up against because I know my God's been already there taking care of business for me. I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight, and that's exactly what the church needs to do today. And that's what every believer ought to be doing. Well, I don't trust anybody at churches. Well, you better walk by faith then, friend, because if you're walking by sight, we'll give you good reason not to trust us. Because you know what? There's no perfect people here. I'm the closest thing to it, but there's no perfect people here. You say, well, that's as close as it gets. We're in trouble. Yes, you are. Big trouble. (laughs) The church is worth giving your life to. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Turn there, would you please? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The most popular, well-known passage for marriage is found in Ephesians 5, and that's exactly what we see here. But in reality, the doctrinal emphasis here is not marriage it's the church in Christ his relationship to his church and his church's relationship to him is it's to be pictured in a marriage Notice what he says in Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, it's always funny when there's legitimate needs that are in a wife's life and a husband may say something like, oh, I'd give my life for but you won't meet that need. I mean, who's, who's kidding who here? I mean, you give your life, you'd lay it down, you'd do anything, you'd even die for her, but you can't meet that need, and you could do that without dying easily. What's really wrong here? Who's lying to who? Are you lying to me, or are you lying to yourself? I'm not talking about perceived needs necessarily, and I'm not saying that we don't have money to spend. Oh, she wants a house that has four rooms and a triple size. Well, no, that'd be the guy who wants a three-bay garage. But anyway, she wants a brand-new kitchen. She wants this, she wants that. And you're like, dude, I don't make that kind of money. We couldn't afford that right now if we wanted to. We'd be in so much debt, we'd be sinking. Uh, yeah, that, that's not what I'm talking about doing for her. She would, I'm sure she's wise enough to know that's impossible now. But there are needs that go unmet, both on both sides. And we say we'll die for them. As a man, we should be willing to give our lives for our wife. And the reason is, is because Christ did what? Gave his life for the church. Yeah. Amen. He's our example. So if Jesus gave his life for the church, and he, expect, he expects no less than from each member of the body. Oh yeah, I gave my life for you, but I don't expect the body to pay any price. No. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. See, the fact is, is that we're a body. And it's hard. Sometimes we forget that. We, we kind of glance over verses like this and we lose sight of the, what the, what's really being taught. The, 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 and I'm not talking about... And I know some of you say, well, if you're talking about it, was universal church and it's the whole... Everybody's placed in the body of Christ and as a result of that, we all function together as one. Okay, call a pastor in the Philippines and have him come do your funeral i are probably not flying over for you. You need a local pastor and a local assembly to belong to. You're not going to encourage Well, I have the internet now and I can get on the internet. Well, let me tell you something. We saw how that worked during COVID. It don't work. You know, God's word's still true. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So much the more as you see the day approaching. It's obvious. We still need to meet together because that's where we get encouragement. That online stuff is not the same as meeting in person. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. is Is it therefore not of the body? Isn't that interesting? Just because it says that, does that make it true? That's what he's saying. Just because he says he's not part of the body, is that really true? According to the Bible, it's not, obviously. We're going to see that here in a moment. And that's what his point is. He's almost being kind of, you know, facetious almost. You say, what's that mean? I don't know, but it's a great word. <laughs> Notice what it says. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye. Can you imagine that? Just think about that. A big eye. Can you little teeny feet walking around? An eye. I mean, that'd be, I don't know why, but that just kind of funny to me. You know, I'm weird. But anyway, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they are all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members yet, but one body? Now listen, we can go ahead. You can debate all day till you're blue in the face that this is talking about the body Universal, But friend, there's no practical application of that at all in this life in which we live. The application is to the church, the local church. That's all there is to it. And listen, you got one nose, two eyes, two ears, and you know what? That's all what? One body. And can I tell you, this is a body today. Now, I don't know if you're the nose or the big toe. Or maybe you're a pinky finger. I don't know. But one way or another, if you're part of Community Baptist Temple, and you come here long enough and, and God leads you to join us, you become part of the body. Everyone plays a role, and every role plays a part in the body's health and well being. Let's suppose that your feet swell. And they, really, they hurt real bad. And the only thing that's going to help those feet of yours is to elevate them. That, that happens, right? I mean, people's feet swell, and, and, and they got to elevate their feet, and that helps a lot, you know? We have a ton of pregnant ladies around here. Well, I didn't say that right, did I? We, we have a lot of pregnant ladies here. Wow, that was a real slip of the tongue. (laughs) Ladies, I love you all. (laughs) You're the favorite. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Hopefully, I don't get those songbooks thrown at me again. But anyway, let's suppose then those feet are swelling, and the only thing that's going to help them is to elevate those feet. You know, the only problem is that your legs don't want to cooperate. They say, you know what? I don't like sitting, I like walking. I can't be slowed down for some foot. But what the legs don't understand is that they're they're not the body, they're only part of the body. Until the legs get on board, the feet will continue to suffer, and thus the whole body suffers. You get where I'm going? I mean, we've got to think about this thing. We're a body. Christ points out that we're all important and necessary to the body. Every last one. There are no little parts. I remember playing knee football. But I don't know if you ever, it's kind of something we just played. We called it knee football when I was a kid. And my brothers, I had three brothers, and, and one older, and I had one, uh, two younger. And, and uh, what we would do is, is that we would, a lot of times it would be the two older against the two younger. That's the way it's supposed to go, right? <laughs> Knee football. So my, my brother Jeff, he would, he would snap the ball to my brother uh, Troy, and then Troy would run the ball. And me and Ed, we'd tackle him. Knee football. One would go high. The other go low. Sometimes we try to sandwich him. (laughs) He was only seven years younger. He can handle it. He's got a man up. But during that ball game, that knee football game, I don't know what happened, but I stoved my finger so bad. You ever jammed your finger like, and I stoved it. I mean, that sharp pain went through there, and it just got thick and hard. I couldn't even bend it. I thought for sure I busted it. The problem was I had a real football game that afternoon. So here I am out on the football field trying to play with that finger that's just throbbing. Yeah, it is. Oh, we'll tape it up. Let me tell you what. It didn't seem to help me a whole lot. I mean, I needed some shots of something to take away the pain like the pros do. But they didn't give those to kids. Man, every time I tried to make a tackle, oh, I jammed my finger, I'd hit touch it just a little bit. Oh! Oh, man, that hurt. Oh, I got through the game. But it affected my play. It was just a little member. But it affected the whole body. You get it? Affected the whole body. Hey, listen, don't say to yourself I don't matter. You do. The truth is that God would that everyone be in, all in. He'd have every he'd have every part of the body giving their 100% best effort. Now, I'm going to share something that I believe is so true here that you may have never heard Sometimes people don't feel needed because they're not participating. You say, what do you mean? Let me explain that. We've all heard or have known someone who was blind. And we read or heard or observed how they possess this heightened sense of smell or touch or hearing. You know, you've heard that, right? Somebody's blind and all of a sudden it's like, their, their touch just seems to be so much more sensitive and they can read braille and they can do all these things and their hearing they hear things differently they can walk through rooms and you're thinking man why don't they trip over that their hearing has been rewired their brain has has been has been rewired if you will researchers are finding that, that when one sense is lost the areas of the brain normally devoted to handling that sensory information do uh, they, they don't get un, they, they 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 go unused now Uh, They they don't go unused, excuse me. They get rewired. Now they're finding they get rewired, and they get put to work, and they get used in other areas, and they begin to process other senses. It's a phenomena that they call cross-modal neuroplasticity. And they're learning this all the time. They're learning more and more how the brain works and how it affects the body. And and so when one part of the body stops working, the brain rewires itself and other parts of the body become more sensitive and begin to adapt to not having that. And they reconfigure things, so to speak. They figure out a way to get it done one sense is lost and another sense other senses step up and compensate for that loss are you are you following me because this is important and i believe that's why folks feel unneeded and unwanted in the church at times see there are many who've been neglecting their responsibility to build the kingdom and the house of god after being saved As a result, the body redirects resources to compensate for that loss. Someone says, they don't need me. I'm not needed here. In a sense, that can be true. Because the body has had to deal without you putting forth your effort. You're that finger that stopped working and pretty soon the body says, we don't have one, we have to learn to use four instead of five. And you say, they don't need me. Oh, they do need you if they want to run optimally. The problem is is that it compensates, the body compensates for a lack of the other parts that aren't functioning. You say, "I I want to be involved in this church. You know the only way to get involved in the church is to get involved. I want to be missed if I'm not here. you got to get participating and involved. you got to become an active person in the local church if you're going to make an impact in the body. Because if you don't, you come to church and you just sit in the pew and you leave, don't be upset because everybody's not on your back every minute of the day trying to hold you accountable and take care of you because the fact is the body is learning to cope without you. You say, where's all the needs? I'll do anything. Will you do anything? Because you're not even here. And so the church has to learn to adapt to that, and they begin to function without you. And then you show up and say, I want to do something. They go, okay, hold on. Let's see where we can fit you in. Well, obviously, you don't need me if you have to think that much about it. Well, we've been dealing without you for so long that it's time that we have to find your place now. Are you a pinky? Are you a big toe? Are you an eye? Are you an eyebrow? I don't know. That's not really a part. You know where I'm going with this. I mean, does this make any sense to anybody but me? And I'm just saying that sometimes we, we make things so complicated, but it's not complicated. This is how God created the body, and we are a body, right? So if the body of a person compensates for senses or, or should I say, per- portions of their body that aren't functioning right, and it makes up for those and compensates for those, then guess what the church does? It compensates. And so what happens is, you got people in the church going like this. Whew. Whew. The burden's heavy. Wow, there's so much got to go get done. Man, I'll tell you, we sure could use more nursery workers. Oh, boy, we could use more Sunday school teachers. Man, we could use more people helping in this production. Boy, we could use folks that are out soul winning. Man, it seems like we do it all. You say, they don't need me. Oh, boy, do they ever need you. I'm telling you, the body's not complete. It's not whole without you. But you have checked out so long that sometimes you feel that you don't fit in. It's. I'm not, it's not. I'm not trying to scold anybody here. I'm stating a reality, a fact of the body. And all I'm saying, I'm telling you this because ultimately... We all need to be 100% plugged into the local church. We all have to leave the present sinful world, so to speak, and we have to get out of there, and we got to get plugged in to God's economy, which is the local church. This is where we live our lives. We build the house in the kingdom of God. That's what God called us to do. That's why He took us out of the world. He didn't take us out of the world so that we could build our own homes, so that we could just live a comfortable life, so that one day we could die with a smile on our face, leaving a nice inheritance to our children. You go ahead and do that if you're able to do that, and if God blesses you. Praise God for that. But my friend, that is not the objective, nor is it the goal of every believer to live a comfortable life. We are to live a life on behalf of Jesus Christ, called out of a sin-sick world, and into a new place, a courageous place, an unknown place, the local church, Reaching the world with the gospel. By the way, you will suffer. If you choose not to plug in, you'll suffer just like they did in Haggai. Oh, it may seem fine to you, but there are more important things and there are things that matter more to us than even money at times. There's peace of mind there's a sense of satisfaction, a sense of well-being that comes when we're obedient to the Master, to know that he is, His hand is on our shoulder and that we don't walk alone in this world, to have His presence, His power, His peace, His purpose. You and I will only be truly satisfied and fulfilled in our Christian lives as we exercise God's call upon our lives. I read this. It says, this is my church. It's composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into the fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service, if I who make it what it is. And filled with these, therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things. I want my church to be. I wonder have you've been saved this morning. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Do you realize if you do, you are so privileged and blessed to have been taken out of this sin-sick world, and delivered out, and placed into the body of Christ. And given the opportunity to be a part of a local church where you can serve your master. Boy, you, if you haven't though, you need to trust Jesus Christ today. 2,000 years ago, He hung on that old cross, He hung between heaven and earth. He bore your sin, your shame, your reproach. He was perfect and sinless. And yet, he bore the sin, your sin and mine, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should be, until you live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Boy, you need to get saved today. See, if you die without Jesus Christ in your life, you'll spend a Christless eternity. You'll spend an eternity separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. That's a horrible place. And God wrote it in His Word that way on purpose so that we would get an image, a mental image of what it means to be eternally separated from Him. And it's not a good image. And He wants us to understand that only through Jesus Christ and His wonderful grace and mercy can we truly be washed clean, made whole by the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Do you know Christ as your Savior? You say I can't say for sure I do don't wait another moment And j- when that music plays you get out of that seat you come forward and get to Mr. Kavanaugh or somebody up front and let them take a bible or show, have somebody take a bible and show you the precious promises of God how you can have your sin washed away forgiven and you can become part of the family of God placed in the body of Christ given an eternal home Whew. and have Christ dwelling with you always never be alone again If you are saved, then let's get busy. Let's make building the kingdom in the house of God our greatest priority. Let's understand that this is not just an exercise in appeasing our consciences weekly. This is a calling. Called out, placed in, for the express purpose of building the kingdom and his body by seeing souls come to Christ. The Jews have neglected the house of God, and as a result, they, along with their family, suffered. There's nothing easy about being disobedient to God. It catches up to us. Let's be everything God called us to be. Let's be courageous. Let's walk by faith, not by sight. Let's accomplish the calling of God in our life through the local church. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you've done for us and all you do. We are a needy people, as we said earlier, Lord, and no one knows that more than you. Father, help us to recognize and realize the, the importance, the, the necessity of the local church in our life and our family's lives. And then the importance of us not just attending it, but participating in it, taking our place in the body, exercising our gifts and our abilities, realizing, Lord, that there's a place where we fit, but we have to be willing to be used. And then we have to be willing to be used where the need is. Father, be glorified now in the lives of your people. And, Lord... For that soul that's without Christ, I pray that conviction would come, that they would recognize their need of Jesus Christ, that they would call upon him before it's eternally too late. Help them now to step out into the aisle, come forward, and let someone show them the precious promises that are found in the word of God that can, that promise us eternal life. We'll thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed.